Hey there, and welcome to The Water Tower, a few minutes of extra encouragement for your week from the scriptures. I'm your host, Lee Younger from Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and today we'll be in Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. All right, enjoy episode 69, Split the Bill. Okay, can we talk about Wordle for a minute? You know what this is, right? It's a little game people play on their phones where you have to guess a five-letter word and you only get six chances to get it right. And as you go through your attempted guesses, the game tells you if you've identified any of the correct letters or even better, put any of those correct letters in the right spot. Each guess has to be an actual word in the English dictionary. You can't simply throw gibberish at the game to uncover those correct letters. The thing is, as you start using up those letters, it can be hard to think of words to guess. And yeah, I know, there are like 158,000 five-letter words in English, but it's just really hard to think of the word epoxy when you aren't at Home Depot because you need to buy some of it. And don't even get me started on double letters and the international controversy over the French derivative spelling of the word favor back in February. Whew. Add all of that together, and what do you have? Well, to be honest, you have a pretty meaningless little thing a lot of us do every single day that brings a few minutes of intense stress and then a nice little serotonin payoff when we guess it right. Now, pretty much the whole internet has agreed that getting the wordle in four tries is par. Three tries is a birdie, five is a bogey. If it takes you six, you're sweating bullets. And if you ever get it in two tries, you're probably going to strut around all day and you're definitely going to tell everyone you know. So, why are we talking about this? Well, because folks, Tina Job broke the game. Yep, you heard me right. She broke it. It's broken. I was talking to Tom the other day and he said Tina gets the wordle in four guesses every single day, no exceptions. I was like, what? I mean, I sometimes get it in three and that's an awesome day, but I got plenty of five and six guest days going on there. But she shoots par every single day. Then he told me her method. Then I tried it and whoa, it just works. Like it works so well that the game is actually less fun. I mean, it almost feels like cheating. It's not cheating, but it feels that way. The great thing is that there is simply no stress in the game anymore. I mean, yeah. But winning isn't as exciting anymore either, I guess, but there's definitely less daily despair. And, you know, that's a good thing. Now, here's the really strange thing. And this is just going to be a glimpse behind the curtain at something super weird about me, okay? Here we go. I sometimes go back and play the game the old stressful way, even though I now have a method of basically guaranteed success. And I know 
I know, that is so dumb. I mean, why would you struggle and strain when you know you could just relax and enjoy a victory? Well, I've thought a lot about this actually, and I think it comes down to this. I don't just want to complete the game. I want to crush the game. I don't just want to technically succeed. I think I also kind of want to be awesome. You see, Tina's method doesn't allow you to get the wordle in two guesses or in three. You're going to get it in four every day. That's it. You're going to shoot par and you're going to have to live with par. But we don't want par, do we? No. The human heart is looking for something else. We want something more than that. And, and look, don't act like I'm alone on this. You're right here with me. And it might not be Wordle, but you've got something. Some place or activity where you don't just want to be okay, you want to be exceptional. In some place in our life, we are all of us like Tom Brady last month, sitting at home, wearing seven Super Bowl rings after retiring from the sport of football, watching Sports Center as they talk about the NFL draft, and calling up our agent and saying, you know what, I'm back, baby. I mean, Tom Brady retired for 40 days. Just 40 days. Making this dude the first person in history to give up professional football for Lent. But that thing that's in Tom Brady, it's in me as well. And it's in you somewhere too. It's in all of us. One time I was at a restaurant with a friend who offered to buy my lunch. And as we finished our meal and my friend asked for the check, our server told us that someone else in the restaurant had picked up our tab. We were paid for. We were free to go. My buddy was taken aback and decided he would tip our server anyway, and he would tip for the amount the whole meal would have been. Now, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm pumped our server got hooked up that day, but that's not the only thing going on here. Also at play was my friend's heart that just could not be given a gift. Why? Because he had offered to pay for me and he felt like he simply had to do it. I just started reading Paul's letter to the Galatians again this week, and right off the bat, he said something that made me set the book down, pause, and take a minute. Check this out. This is Galatians 1, 3, and 4. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. He gave himself for our sins. That was it, right there. I set the book down. He gave himself for our sins. Now, as I record this, we are about to enter what the church has traditionally called Holy Week, the week leading up to Easter Sunday from Palm Sunday. It's where we remember and celebrate all Jesus did for us in giving his life for our wrong dying on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven and his. During this week every year, I usually look at and think about what Jesus went through in those last days and hours pretty intentionally. The opposition he faced, the suffering he willingly walked into, and the horrible way he gave his life for us. So 
If you don't mind, come with me as we think on all of it again. Paul says he gave himself for our sins. So what did that mean for him, literally? Well, for one thing, he was bound. Angry, hostile forces arrested Jesus and physically tied him up. Even though there was no cause and he wasn't a threat to anyone, he couldn't move freely because they bound him with cords. He was also accused. Now, he was completely innocent, so his accusers literally had to invent lies in order to bring a charge against him. They had to make stuff up, but they accused him. He was shamed. They stripped him. They spat on him. He was mocked, and he was made to be naked in public for hours. He didn't deserve any of this. He was and is Almighty God. He deserved to be honored above anyone who has ever breathed our air, and yet... He was shamed. He was tortured. He had only ever shown compassion, gentleness, and care, and yet his enemies brutally beat him up with no mercy, to within an inch of his life. And then he was killed. The kind of death he died was reserved for the worst criminals, and even though Jesus had committed no crimes, and no one could prove that he had ever done even one thing wrong, His life was drained away. And that's what it meant for him to give himself for my sins, my wrong. He was bound, accused, shamed, tortured, and then killed. Now maybe you're like me and you've heard and read and thought about all that a million times over. And if so, you could be wondering why the idea of Jesus giving himself for my sins would stop me in my tracks. Like, why did I have to put the book down and take a knee after so basic a concept? Jesus gave himself for our sins. Yeah, we know. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this. He gave himself for my sins and sometimes I don't let him do that work alone. Sometimes, I realized, I get in there and try my hardest to give myself for my sins as well. I bind my own hands, tie myself up, put restrictions in place to punish myself for something in my past. I accuse myself, wear myself out with how bad I've been and what a mess I've made. I shame myself, oh boy, do I shame myself. Look myself in the mirror and throw the question at my reflection, what's wrong with you? trying to motivate some change through humiliation or total defeat. I beat myself up over what I've done, playing and replaying my failures on a constant loop in my mind. I let the worst parts of my story drain the energy of my very life. I I have a hard time letting Jesus pay. There's something in me that thinks I'll feel better if I'm also paying. I mean, if you're paying the bill, can I... Can I at least leave the tip? Why do I do this? I know the gospel. I share the good news with other people. I know I can't undo what Jesus has done on my behalf. 
I know I can't add anything to his sacrifice, but even still, after all these years, I try to split the bill. In the midst of that pause, in Galatians 1, 3, and 4, I realize something critical about myself. I have an attitude that has a very sneaky fraternal twin that is always hanging around. These two attitudes aren't identical twins. I mean, if you get close enough, you can tell them apart, but from far away, they're twins. The first attitude is the idea, I can do better. And really, that's fine. I mean, it's definitely true. We all have places where we need to grow. I can do better. But that attitude right there has a fraternal twin. And wherever you look, standing right there beside I can do better is his twin, I am better. to split the bill of my wrong with Jesus because I feel bad for him that he's paying. No, I'm thankful he paid. I love him for it. This isn't about sorrow. It's about something else. It's about something deeper. It's that I don't want him to have to pay for me in the first place. I want to somehow be different than everybody else. I think there's a place inside every one of us that simply wants to be better. It's why I sometimes play Wordle in hard mode when Tina has already broken the game. I actually want to get it in two. I want to dunk on that game. If you're hard on yourself about your past or about your struggles or about your failures, is there a chance that you're treating yourself that way because you think that you can work Jesus out of a job or you should work Jesus out of a job? I say this to me as much as I'm saying it to you. Ready? Don't bind, accuse, shame, or beat yourself up over your stuff anymore. Jesus paid the whole bill and the tip. He paid a long time ago. Let him pay. It was enough. Oh, and by the way, he paid because he loves you. Let him love you. Jesus is a mighty Savior. Helpless souls here have a friend He has borne their misbehavior And His mercy knows no end Oh ye helpless come And on His grace depend He to save your souls from ruin 
shed his blood upon the tree Salvation's full and free Violent sinners shall His great salvation see Yes, the very worst of sinners Upon his grace rely Shall of endless bliss be winners And shall sing beyond the sky Songs of praises too once did die Today's score was the song Harbor by Prague, used by permission with musicbed.com. Our final song today was Gadsby Hymn 593 by Neil Carpenter. Our intro and outro music was by the one and only Jed Brewer of Good Loud Media. And you are hearing this today as ever because of our friend Ian Gothard, who's like the clutch bass hit in the bottom of the ninth with two outs that gets the rally going to a classic comeback win. Happy opening day plus one, folks. Thanks for listening, and may the living water fill you up.